Welcome to Christian Life Assembly Online. We are so glad that you were able to join us. We hope you enjoy the message this week from Pastor Jim Poirier. For more information, please visit our website at www.clawinnipeg.org. Or if you have a prayer request, please email us at prayer at clawinnipeg.org. There was a, uh, an old preacher from a small town. And he had ministered in that community for about 40 years and got sick and he was dying. He was very, very, very well respected. People honored him and, uh, and really loved him a lot. On his deathbed, he was at home. And he called for the local lawyer and the local banker to come and sit with him in his final hours. Well, they were, when they received word that they had been called, they were both very pleased with themselves, you might say, that they would be given the honor of sitting with this pastor. And I think they were kind of thinking their currency in the community would go up a little bit. Well, they got to the old pastor's house and he was laying in his bedroom in his bed and he was in the throes of death and and, uh, he motioned for the banker to sit on his left and the lawyer to sit on his right. And and so there they sat, the three of them, the pastor in his bed and the lawyer and the banker in chairs beside the bed. Finally, After several moments of sitting there in utter silence, the banker leaned forward and said to the pastor, Reverend, what pearls of wisdom were you wanting to impart to us today in your last hours? The pastor with a weak voice said, Well, as you know, Jesus has been my example my whole life. And since he died between two thieves, I decided that is the way I wanted to go to. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you a message called What Happens After We Die. We, we talked about that and another question that people have today that many of us think about or maybe are a little preoccupied with at moments is, is when is Jesus coming back? What are the signs of his coming? And as we are now in the second last message from the book of Luke, Jesus seems to be turning back to this theme and because the disciples are asking him, what are the signs? What's going to happen? And so we look at this passage of scripture. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? And he replied, watch out that you're not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, don't be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes and famines and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you, 
And they will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And you'll be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. So you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they'll put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. As we put this passage of scripture in context, which is important to do as we're looking at the word of God, we take this passage of scripture and we look at it from a historical perspective. Jesus was predicting that Jerusalem's destruction was going to take place and versus the temple's destruction would take place in verse 5 and 6. And in verse 7 to 11, he speaks of many more catastrophes that are preceded by an intense persecution of Christians in verse 12 to 19. By the time Luke had finished writing this letter in about 85 AD, the temple had already been destroyed in 70 AD. And there are principles upon which we should build our lives and Consider the return of Christ as we look at this passage of Scripture. First principle I want to talk about, or the first lesson I want to talk about here is, is coming deceivers. Now in the times preceding Christ's death and resurrection, in the apostles' times, there were many deceivers that arose. In Acts chapter 21, verse 38, there is a reference to uh, an individual. That individual turns out to be Thaddeus, who led a rebellion. I understand that he was promoting himself quite exuberantly. Jude, in the book of Jude, he speaks of men who were deceivers, blemishes. They feed only themselves. They're clouds without rain. And down through the ages, if you do a search, you will find that there are literally dozens of people who have come claiming to be the Messiah. And there's great discernment that's needed for us even today in these times. Yeah, there will be people, and there are people, who claim to be the Messiah, who claim to be Christ. But I think maybe one of the things that we ought to be concerned about as well is false teaching of people who are not presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ truthfully. One popular, well-known preacher recently claimed that Jesus was accepting, Jesus is accepting of everyone, that Jesus has a big tent and everybody can come in. And, and he actually used the phrase, 
the broad way, that, that Jesus is a broad way. And that's contrary to what the scriptures even teach. Because as we look at Jesus' teaching about the broad way, he said it leads to destruction. And Jesus doesn't talk about a big gate. He talks about a very narrow gate, a very small gate. And, and so preaching this gospel of inclusion that anything goes and there's many ways to God and, and the, 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 the truth of being a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, of laying down one's life and walking in obedience, living in obedience to Jesus. Teaching a gospel that accepts sin, accommodates sin, rather than transforming the sinner, that's a false gospel. It's false teaching. And there are many today, even within evangelical circles, who are transforming the gospel instead of preaching a gospel of transformation. Do you follow me? Transforming the gospel to, to accommodate, to give permission, to allow people to continue living the way they want to live instead of preaching a gospel that takes a sinner and transforms them into men and women and young people who follow God wholeheartedly. Those are the kinds of things that we need to be very careful about today. False teaching. False teaching that is creeping in to the church. False teaching that is deceiving many people. And there are many people, I believe, sitting in pews today who are not hearing the truth. And just as in Jesus' time, there are still deceivers today, and may we continue to be very discerning and very wise and to be students of the Scripture and to be weighing and checking. And do that with your own pastor. If you find that if there's ever something that you sense I may have made a mistake on, it's your job to say so and to say, Pastor, what about this? And I think it's important that we weigh out the messages we hear. So people may not claim to be the Messiah. They may not claim to be Jesus. But we need to be careful about those who make false claims about Jesus and discern that in these last days there is a great deception and we need to be preaching the true Jesus. Another thing that we find happening as well today is a movement of ecumenism. But there is a, a movement in the world to, toward, obviously, a one-world leader who the Scripture would call the Antichrist and a one-world religion where there will be a melding of the world religions into a one-world religion. And obviously, we resist that. We don't go for that. We need to continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus talks about coming deceivers, and I think we need to be wise and warned. We think also of the unstable world that we're living in. Jesus talks about the nations being unstable in verse 10 to 11. Talks about nation rising up against nation. He says, don't worry. And boy, we see evidence of that today, don't we? We see stuff happening with, between China and Canada right now. 
a nation that has risen up against our nation, our little nation. We see it happening with uh, North Korea and the states, and and you have Iran, and 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 you know we're dealing with Russia in the states, and we see this. It seems like the pot is boiling and nation is rising up against nation. And, and it's been like that. If you read the Old Testament, there's all kinds of, of nations rising up against nations and wars and battles and, and conflict among mankind. We also see Jesus teaching here about earthquakes and, and famines and, and other fearful events taking place, pestilence and all of these things. Now, in those days... In Jesus' days, and following his ascension to heaven, those things were indeed taking place. In fact, history would show that immediately following his crucifixion, there was war and crime and earthquakes and violence and abundance. It was a time when, when uh, the world was rich in disasters and horrible in battles, one commentator said. Palestine, Italy, Greece, Asia Minor, Minor, and Syria all experienced uh, serious earthquakes. And we're living in an unstable world today and in an unstable world again. We see all of these natural disasters taking place. We see uh, headlines talking about the world order being shaken and unstable and smaller countries seemingly powerless and, and pawn being played as pawns. And we see terror and terrorism. And it could certainly be said that our current times would point to the soon return of Christ, and I believe they do. I believe it's such a mess and becoming such a mess that only Jesus is going to be able to fix it all. And then we see an anti-Christian sentiment in verse 12 to 18. In addition to the natural disasters and political upheaval, Jesus speaks of difficult times for his followers. Now, indeed, uh, Christians were brought before authorities and persecuted. In fact, it was horrible for the believers in the early church. As you look at the book of Acts, it was a terrible time for Christians and the persecution that they were going through. It was played out in the book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 40. And it says, his speech persuaded them, and they called the apostles in and had them flogged, and then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. This was happening. I've been listening in uh, our Bible app about what Paul was going through with uh, being thrown in jail and, and put on trial and being accused and falsely accused and, and staying in jail and appealing uh, to higher powers, and through the midst of it all, he was continuing to preach the gospel and, and share the good news. We think of Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul, who eventually became Paul, was there giving approval to his death, 
And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. They, they were scattered. They had to leave their homes, their jobs. There might have been families separated. It was all because of persecution. The church was scattered. And Jesus talks about this. In verse 15, he also talks in, in Luke 21, verse 15, he also talks about what do you do when you come under persecution, when you come under fire? What do you say? And Jesus said, don't worry. You'll be given the words to speak. In Acts chapter 7, we see Stephen being persecuted and, and he preaches this message and he's, he's sharing and He's speaking with boldness and with authority and with power. Hey, he wasn't, he didn't take time to study that week to figure out what he was going to say. The Holy Spirit gave him the words. We think, think of Acts chapter 25 where, where Paul is, is testifying and talking before Festus. And, and again, he was sharing and the Holy Spirit was enabling him. And, and you see throughout the book of Acts in various places how the, the disciples, the apostles spoke with boldness, with authority. Jesus said, I'll give you the words to speak. And we see this kind of persecution has continued throughout the ages. And it's continuing to be played out throughout the world today. In fact, some would say that it's as bad today and maybe worse than it's ever been before. I've got you some statistics here. 345 Christians are killed for their faith in the world every month. Think about that. That's over 4,000 a year. 105 churches and Christian buildings are burned or attacked every month throughout the world. 1,260 a year. 219 Christians are detained without trial. They are arrested, they are sentenced, they are imprisoned. 219 per month throughout the world. That's 2,628 a year. And we find that even in our own country, there is an anti-Christian sentiment at home that is building. And uh, I think we need to be careful not to mix politics and, abort and, and religion behind the pulpit. But I do want to say that this is the first time we've had a federal government that has required charities, Christian charities, to sign an attestation that we would be supportive of abortion in order to get funding for summer students. This was played out last year. We were going through this last year. The first time. And that sort of ideology where uh, government would say, this is our morals and you are to abide by it in order to have full participation in society is quite frightening. Because where does it stop? One by one, we are seeing our rights and our freedoms eroded. Uh, 
in Canada, we may not have persecution by, uh, by beatings and stuff like that, but we do certainly see it growing through prosecution, through people being taken to human rights, and even, uh, you know, uh, people's stands on, on moral issues and ethical issues and sexual issues are being challenged, and only one viewpoint is allowed. And so we find that there is a growing anti-Christian sentiment growing even in our own country. And all of this can be very upsetting and concerning to us, but it brings us to our next point, that there's actually more to this story for us. And we need to be happy about that. And it is a wonderful promise that Jesus gives. It's not all bad news. You see, with Jesus, we have hope and a future. With Jesus, we have promise. And I'm thankful that, that the scripture puts things in perspective for us and we need not lose perspective and we need not be walking around this world feeling defeated and downcast and downtrodden because Jesus has promises for you as followers of him. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 11. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 11. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We need to be reminded that we are a people belonging to God. That you are a nation within a nation. God would call you a holy nation. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your souls. I was reminded of this the other day when I saw something in our city that upset me and grieved me to the core. And I thought, how could they? As a follower of Jesus, I felt offended. And the Lord spoke to me in that moment. But I'm a stranger and an alien. And this is not my home. And my home is not being messed up. The world's being messed up. But my home is not being messed up. Because this is not my home. I am just passing through. I am a stranger and an alien in this world. And I belong to Jesus. And I'm part of the holy nation. I'm a citizen of heaven. And let things go as they may go. We may not be able to stop everything. We may not be able to push back the tide of evil at every corner. But praise God, we have hope and we are part of something much bigger and much greater. And we have a home waiting for us in heaven. And friends, this is not home. This is not home. And so what are we called to do? 
We are called to be people that walk in the light, that share the light, that love the lost, that care about people, people that live contrary to us. Don't be offended by them. Point them to Jesus. Love them like Jesus would love them. Care for them. Reach out to them. Show them that there is another way. Show them that there is hope. Show them that they can have hope in eternity as well because they need you and they need you to love them and they need you to care for them and they need you to be gracious and merciful. They don't need you sneering at them. Just keep in perspective. This isn't my home and I'm not going to walk in offense. I'm going to walk with my eyes on, on Jesus and looking forward to what's coming. Take an eternal view of things, not an earthly view of things. Look at the long range and not the short range. Jesus promised in Luke chapter 21, verse 18 and 19, that we wouldn't be harmed, that we'd gain life by standing firm. Now, honestly, I, I look at this passage of Scripture, and it says not a hair in your head will be will be touched, and, and some of these guys actually died for their faith. <laughs> I guess they didn't touch their hair. I don't know. <laughs> don't touch the head. <laughs> and so it, it might seem contrary or that Jesus didn't get it right, but hey, the, the, the thing is, Jesus was saying, look at they may destroy your earthly temple, but eternally you're going to be just fine. You're going to live forever. And you have hope. And this earthly tent is temporary. It's a temporary dwelling. It's not your eternal home. This life, this earth, this is not your, your home. You have a home in heaven. You have an eternal dwelling. And you will be kept safe. And you will be delivered. And you will be brought into glory. It's a wonderful thing. And so I guess in that sense, in the bigger picture, no, not a... Hair in the head was harmed. A couple of weeks ago, we, died. We, we talked about what happens when we die. We talked about the spirit going to be with Jesus. We talked about the final resurrection when the corruptible will be raised incorrupted. And the mortal will put on immortality. The temporal will become eternal. And I want to say to you today, that when you feel uncomfortable in this world when you feel weak in this world when your spirit is grieved in this world when you are disturbed by what's happening in this world remember that this is not your home heaven is our home and we have so much to look forward to and some of our lives get difficult some of them get challenging and some of you are dealing with hard stuff and it may not be uh, pestilence and earthquakes and, 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 and persecution and trouble. But you got your own stuff going on. And it's hard. Friends, this is not your home. Jesus is calling us to something greater and bigger. And we are just strangers and aliens in this place. We have hope. We have great hope. Thanks for listening to Christian Life Assembly's Message of the Week. Be sure to check us out at clawinnipeg.org for more information.